0: In a world where jobs are how most people make money, one man, one desire, one challenge, dares to break the mold. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network, where we don't work for money, money works for us. Coming soon, viewer discretion Goodbye.
1: Bill Manacero. Welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network. I'm your host, Bill Manacero, and this is the show where 50 Plusers and anyone else who wants to join us get solid no-sales pitch real estate investing advice to help generate real cash flow. This podcast airs twice weekly on Mondays and Fridays. And if you aren't already a subscriber, go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, type in Old Dogs spelled D-A-W-G-S. Find our podcast and subscribe. Well, we got a great guest for you today. The gentleman with us is Mark Curry. And Mark has been an avid real estate investor for over 17 years. And throughout his career, he has been involved in sourcing, underwriting, acquiring, raising capital, rehabilitating, managing, and selling both residential and commercial investments throughout multiple markets in the U.S., Mark has analyzed thousands of investment opportunities and has successfully bought, renovated, sold, and invested in over 120 properties with a combined value of over $1 billion and created and managed over 60 real estate partnerships with investors. Well, Mark, welcome to the Old Dogs REI Network. Thanks, Bill. Happy to be here. Oh, happy you that you're here, and uh, you know our folks uh, in this uh, audience love to you know get the background on on the folks that are speaking. If you wouldn't mind, kind of giving us your story, uh, just to bring us up to current here.
0: Sure. Yeah. I I, um, I guess I I'll start quickly. Just my career began in finance. I was an analyst and did some internal auditing as well. Um, started investing on the side. This was uh, 2004-2005 in real estate and I kept doing both for uh, the next five to six years. I uh, expanded my portfolio at the time, Bill, by partnering with family members. My brother and I bought a fourplex and then my parents and I and my brother, other brother, all kind of pulled some money together and bought some assets as well. And by 2010, decided to go full-time into real estate, um, which is uh, really the beginning of our company, formerly SMK Capital Management. That's my father and I's initials. We partnered up and uh, really at the time, Bill, just trying to create more diversification and allow other investors to invest with us in the deals that we were kind of already doing as a family and keep growing our portfolio. So those are some of the earlier days and how we got our start.
1: Oh, that's great. That's great. So you, you went through the, the, the great uh, recession, I guess, uh, as well, right?
0: We did. Yeah. Yeah. We bought prior to the recession and uh, in kind of in the middle of it, not knowing necessarily that we were in the middle of it, of course, at the time and, uh, and near the end, tail end of it as well. We were, we were buying stuff throughout that whole period. We didn't sell anything uh, during that time period, so that was our activity then.
1: Ah, great, great. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, a real, real curious to hear, um, you know what uh, what you're focusing on now, and and as many people are saying, we're. Either in a recession or at least uh, coming into a recession here. Uh, definitely, uh, inflation in the in the wind and interest rates going up and a lot of other signs of the times uh, economically. Um, yeah, I'm real curious to see as an investor um, how you're sort of approaching that uh, that issue.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I'll give a little bit more um, of a few points in our investment career that uh, would be helpful, Bill, to kind of lead up to what we're doing today and why. Um, Recession resistance is very much top of mind for us. It has been actually for the last five years. In 2018, we created a recession-resistant fund uh, with the intent of really diversifying capital across uh, lowly or inversely correlated Uh, Assets, So that included self-storage facilities, mobile home parks, and apartment communities, uh, specifically Class B workforce housing in growth markets. We put all those together into a fund. We closed the fund to new capital in 2019. And most of those investments that we targeted for the fund bill were five to 10-year holds. We were uh, really targeting medium to long term investments uh, on purpose to be able to weather a storm. Should there be a correction in the market, a recession, downturn, et cetera, we didn't want to be sellers at the wrong time and we wanted to continue to cash flow and uh, retain asset value. Um, and so that investment uh, has done quite well thus far. We've actually returned about a third of investors' principal back to them through some refinances and a couple properties that have sold in the fund. Um, we've also caught up uh, just about the uh, full preferred return of 8 to 10% annually for our investors. And then in 2020, of course, uh, COVID hit pretty quickly. We stopped investing entirely into anything new for about seven months. Uh, the purpose there was to watch and wait and analyze and see what was gonna happen. We had never seen anything like that before as far as you know, being told to stay home and not go to work and have checks being sent to you in the mail, et cetera, whether you're individual or business, et cetera. Um, so we didn't know how that was gonna play out though. We, we watched patiently and analyzed uh, lots of data, uh, macro level internally in our portfolio. Our operating partners' portfolios, trying to see if there was going to be distress, and uh, there wasn't. So, by Q, let's say Q2, Q3 of 2020, we started seeing uh, a lot of demand for affordable housing uh, from residents and also from investor groups. You know, that's who we sell to typically. Uh, and that's our exit right so we're always watching our exit how are we going to get out of a deal is there going to be more or less buyers for our asset type in the next you know three five ten years etc and demand was very high we saw rapid rent growth we saw cap rate compression so we wanted to take advantage of those tailwinds that the market was giving us and so we adjusted and pivoted our investment strategy just a little bit we added shorter term investments to our uh, and offerings to our group. That included uh, typically two to three year holds, uh, not really focusing as much on cash flow, but focusing a lot more on growth. And uh, fast forward to Q1 2022, we are back to recession resistance, medium to long term holds, uh, a lot of fixed rate debt. Um, really trying to be more cautious and uh, weather a storm, should there, should there be one coming. Gotcha.
1: Now these are still in the fund area, right? Where you have sort of multiple asset classes and so forth?
0: Yeah, we, we do both, Bill. So we'll create a, a fund which uh, will invest in multiple assets and offerings across different regions, different operating partners, different asset classes. And we'll also just uh, oftentimes do a you know kind of a rifle shot investment where we're going to invest in an apartment community at one two three Main Street, and that's it. So we do both. We do single investments and funds. Uh, both have pros and cons. We we like them both.
1: Right, and and with the uh, you said you said you did a, sort of a, a shorter period where you had short term type of, uh, vehicles. What were, what were those, uh, were those still uh, apartment communities and, uh, along those lines?
0: Yeah, exactly. There are typically, um, call it 1980s vintage apartment communities, most of which hadn't, uh, been renovated, had rents well below market. We'd come in and, and, uh, rehab between five and 10 apartments a month, um, and then raise the rents to the new residents that would move into them. So they're kind of more like flips uh, to take advantage of uh, some of the tailwinds in the market that I noted. Sure.
1: And, and what uh, parts of the country are you investing in now?
0: Yeah, we're invested in, uh, gosh, I, I think from a state count bill. It's probably over 30 states, but predominantly in the south, southeast, uh, the midwest that's uh, generally where most of our investments are located.
1: Right. And and do you have the same criteria uh, that you've sort of maintained uh, you know, over the years, or are you changing your criteria?
0: Yeah, it hasn't changed too much. You know, um, uh, it, it, the reason why is we've been focusing on these kind of recession-resistant asset classes for many years, uh, they continue to prove uh, to do well. They do continue to be lowly or uncorrelated to the overall stock market economy, name it. Um, Each one has pros and cons. There isn't necessarily a perfect asset class. Um, One thing we've been changing lately is we're just very careful about uh, the type of debt that we're putting on the asset. And we are just being more conservative than even before. Obviously, with the Fed fighting inflation by raising interest rates, we've uh, seen interest rates go up significantly in the last you know, couple quarters here, Bill. We'll see where it goes. We're still at a point now where the near term is very much uncertain. I think possibly we've seen some peak inflation and possibly the Fed will start reducing the amount of its interest rate hikes going forward. Uh, so we're just being cautious. We're watching. Uh, more patience is really, uh, I guess, probably the best answer for what we're doing today.
1: And when you talk about debt, what kind of debt are you utilizing for your projects?
0: So the last deal we did was a affordable housing community in Houston. Um, and that was an agency debt. Uh, we had 10-year fixed rates at 4.94% with seven years of interest only and 76% loan to cost. So that just feels uh, it's a very safe investment uh, leverage structure and we're very happy about that. Got it. And when you refer to
1: re- recession-resistant uh, assets or asset classes, can you can you get more specific of why you would call a certain asset class uh, recession-resistant?
0: yeah uh so the first one most think of is i guess there's a couple obviously but let's talk about mobile home parks um they are the most affordable housing option in just about every community in the us the uh barriers to entry to create new mobile home parks are extremely high so you have a essentially almost a fixed supply if not declining supply in some markets people are actually uh, removing the mobile home parks and building, you know, ground up new development, higher rise, et cetera, which is a higher, uh, higher best-in-use potential for that property. Um, so some, some markets you're actually seeing supply going down in mobile homes. And so you have an, uh, a very unique asset class here where during tough times economically, the demand for it typically goes up and so that's one of the reasons we consider mobile home parks to be recession resistant Um, and then, if we look at self-storage historically there's a lot of data out there showing how self-storage has performed during different market cycles and what we typically see is that during uh, again tough times if there's a correction a downturn in the economy people tend to move, some type of change in their life. They might downsize and move in with family or friends. They might relocate, etc. That type of change is usually correlated to an increase in demand for self-storage. And so that's one of the big reasons that we've seen self-storage also be recession-resistant over the years.
1: Um, now on the apartment side of things, I would assume then, uh, you, you kind of alluded to it earlier, you know, you're focused on sort of workhouse, uh, I mean, workforce housing and, uh, uh, you're not necessarily, you know, a properties luxury, uh, type of, uh, properties out there. Is that correct?
0: Yeah. Most of our apartments bill that we target for investment are typically class B workforce housing in growth markets, um, and so to add a little context, if you think about a two bedroom, maybe 900 square foot apartment, that'll typically rent at our properties between you know, eight, $900 on the low end up to maybe thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars $1,400 a month, where there's two people usually uh, with two incomes being able to afford that rent. And so we really focus on apartments where the local median household income can afford the post-renovation rent. Got it. Um, So Class A housing, we, we usually stay away from because the rents are usually much higher than that. Sure.
1: And, uh, you know, you've you've been doing this for for a while now, you know, over 17 years. So you've been through various economic cycles. Um, Are you seeing, you know, anything in this uh, particular economy that you would say is— you know, reminiscent of, of you know previous years, or do you see it as being very unique in itself? Or I know with a, you know with COVID, it, it definitely was a twist for everybody. But uh, you know, how are you sort of using that experience to uh, you know sort of steer through the waters here?
0: Yeah. So it seems like most downturns. Um, I'd say are a little bit different than each other, but you end up kind of with the same results and the same results for us is to be extra cautious as to what we're investing in. um, And maybe even pausing for a little while until there's more clarity in the marketplace regarding trends and data that you want to actually invest into and get behind. Um, Some of the things to be more specific about kind of what we're going through today, you know, we'll see where this all ends up, Bill, obviously, uh, we're almost into 2023, but single-family home valuations um, in, in most communities across the U.S. have or already been starting to decline. Uh, we, we still aren't seeing significant amount of supply increasing. That's usually one of the biggest indicators that we'll be tracking across our asset classes to uh, really be a leading indicator of future valuation drops. You know, too much supply will will really hurt uh, most investments. It almost doesn't matter what asset class you're in, um, and that could be a local supply, it could be new supply coming online, developers, you build it, etc. So we're we're seeing single-family home pricing obviously uh, coming down. So we're we're expecting that to most likely continue as the home affordability has uh, really suffered uh, greatly in the last couple of years, and we had. Uh, valuations skyrocket through COVID. We've had debt increase by almost, uh, if, if not more than double at this point, just from the beginning of the year. So the cost of home ownership is out of reach for most Americans. Um, there's actually a stat, Bill. I think it was, yeah, you know, maybe pre-COVID. I think it was 59% of Americans um, can afford a home, and that's gone down. I think now we're in like the, the high 30 percentage range give or take. So just a staggering drop in affordability. Um, I think that we'll see maybe a little bit more clarity as to what happens in the overall market here. Once the Fed really uh, gives us a bit more information as to where interest rates are going to go, how high. And we just heard at the most recent Fed meeting that they're potentially going to reduce the a rate of interest rate increases at the next meeting. And so that's the first time we've heard that all year. And so perhaps we're at a peak. We don't know, we'll see. Um, But this is something that we're tracking very closely. You know, this uh, economy, just to kind of take a step back and compare it with other downturns, there isn't a lot that's wrong at the moment. It's predominantly inflation and high interest rates. When you look at the fundamentals of apartments, for example, occupancy is very high. Historically, we've been recently at a peak in occupancy, a high 90 percentage range across the U.S. So the demand for apartments is skyrocketing. It has been for a while. That's obviously great for investors. Uh, You also are continuing to see some rent growth organically. Uh, In most markets, depending where, of course, Um, not nearly as much as we saw in the last two years, but we're still seeing these fundamentals being favorable for uh, apartment investments specifically and the other two uh, asset classes that we focus on as well, mobile homes and self-storage, but not nearly to the tune of the last couple years. And so we don't see, you know, we're not seeing distress in, in the assets themselves or the asset demand Uh, We are tracking supply, of course, and we'll see, of course, where borrowing rates go. Right.
1: And, you know, in the, in the time that you've been in this industry, um, I'm sure you've, you've learned a lot through just by example and, and experience. Um, what would you say was maybe a, an early mistake that you made uh, or, or could be mistakes that, uh, you know, you've learned from and, and actually has been more of an advantage of you today having, you know, uh, dealt with that uh, experience?
0: i think uh, you know I would, I would go back to kind of our earlier years of investing um pre-recession and through the recession in 2005 to 2010 we were doing a lot of single family small multi-family investing typically 12 units or less bill but most everything we were buying was distressed it was uh you know boarded up vacant properties Buying direct all cash from the bank, REO, short sales, foreclosures, etc., and we were uh, putting a lot of dollars and effort and love into them to make them beautiful again. Uh, and that there's a couple properties that come to mind where we just over renovated, we spent uh, too much, and took too long. <laughs> uh, part of that was an emotional decision where you know we just had to make it look beautiful but we weren't actually getting a return on some of those extra dollars that we put into them. And so the lesson I learned through some of those investments uh, was, was to not be emotional (laughs) if you can um, and to keep emotion out and treat it as a business. And uh, that's something that just took some time to be able to, to do and understand and say no to certain upgrades that maybe you'd want as the resident living there versus the owner and that kind of thing and just a balancing act
1: mm, that's a great uh, great lesson learned because um, okay, sort of conversely here what uh, what did you do something you did maybe early on that really worked out well uh, something that has you know been a bigger success for you folks
0: yeah, so early on I'd say by two thousand nine two thousand and ten when I Um, when my father and I created our company, I, I went to, uh, a lot of networking conferences, real estate meetup groups bill for about two years. Almost every week I was at one. This was in Southern California where I lived at the time. And I just met a lot of people that were, you know, very dedicated, professional seasoned investors in the space and. Uh, Learned a ton. I mean, literally uh, many notebooks full of notes, uh, many hands shaked, lots of contacts. And a lot of those folks are still with us today from some aspect of our business, whether they are an investor, whether they are um, uh, a sponsor, an operating partner that we invest with, that kind of thing. So I think one of the things I did well back then was just, and nobody told me to go out and do that, Bill. It was just I had this kind of never-ending quench for education and content. And the best way to do it at the time was to go to these meetings and sit in the room and just listen and take notes and then meet people. And so that was a, a period of my career that I wouldn't change for a thing and it was extremely valuable, especially today looking back at it.
1: Yeah, I think this industry is more a people business than anything else. You know, I mean, <laughs> that that really is a key element that that was serious.
0: it's a part of success. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, our audience are folks that are fifty years of age and older. Um, they are people that are either approaching retirement or already in. In retirement, and and they're you know they're concerned. Uh, some of them got hit really bad in the market recently in their four hundred one ks and IRAs, and and uh, they're either trying to increase cash flow you know for their retirement years, or they are looking at you know holding on to that nest egg, what may be left of it. Um, what advice would you have for them regarding real estate investing from your experience that that might be something that they can really uh, you know hold on to there okay
0: yeah you know a lot of our clients still are 50 plus and um a couple things come to mind you know what most of our clients tell us they're looking for is usually a few things um first is capital preservation then income and growth um, and also they, they want to be passive they don't want to manage tenants or toilets or properties or property managers um And they're also looking to usually be, you know, very lowly, if not uncorrelated to the stock market. And so those are some of the things that we focus on with our investments um, by design, but also by structure. My, uh, you know, my father, for example, comes to mind, he was uh, pretty heavily invested in the stock market during the last recession and you know we we got to see what happened to that uh, part of his portfolio during the crash in 2008 and And so you know now we look forward today at real estate and we see pretty consistent distributions uh retaining or growing asset valuation Uh, you know those two points alone are really the big underlying themes that keep us uh, in love with real estate and so those are some of the things that we look at uh, we're always trying to find and source opportunities that we think can weather a storm and we'll just continue to hold and be happy that we did so so i don't know if that helps but definitely uh, a common theme across our company and our investors is uh, distribution valuation growth income capital preservation those are really top of
1: mind. Great, great. Are, are you or have you changed? You know, I, I remember 2016, 17, you know, the, we were investing in properties that, you know, we turn over in two or three years, you know, max. You know, I mean, it was the growth sure. was so fast and so quick. Are, are you experiencing sort of longer holds, you know, maybe a more conservative uh, preferred, uh, you know, rates uh, on on instruments to be able to you know build in that uh that you know at least reduce the risk on those
0: yeah definitely duration has increased or i should say projected duration when we're going into most deals today bill we're expecting five to ten years to hold Uh, could it be less sure but we're not uh, in a rush to uh do anything quick here i think um with the way markets is today, you'd probably be taking on a lot of extra risk if that's your business plan and we're not of that mindset. So, um, yeah, that, that's really what we're, we're consistently looking at today is, you know, one of the questions I ask myself, Bill, when we're underwriting a deal is, am I going to be really happy with this investment in three years, looking back at it today? And the answer has to be absolutely, or we just won't do the investment. And I say three years because usually the first few years of an investment are when you could find yourself um, getting into trouble as far as the business plan, possibly not working out as you thought, or the market changes affecting the performance of the investment. After that, hopefully you've created enough valuation growth where you can uh, continue to hold and be pleased with the deal, you know, for the next five to 10 years. Gotcha. Gotcha.
1: Um, and, and do you see yourself kind of doing more trusts, uh, you know, down the road too, or, or funds, should I say?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're actually looking at, uh, uh, a couple opportunities in the near term that may work well in a fund. Uh, again, we do both. We'll do single asset investments and also funds, but we find that funds are, uh, you know, more defensive in nature, you can diversify more and hopefully uh, without reducing return, right? And so if you can get about the same return for lower risk, it's definitely a a win-win. And so we, we love funds. We do anticipate to continue to do more. Great, great.
1: Now looking ahead in your business, I mean, you certainly have, have, have you know weathered some some tough times and and seem to just be boom, you know, on track and and doing well. Um, what, what excites you about the future of your company?
0: Yeah, I think we're just a, a, at a trajectory still where we're not we don't need to do anything different. <laughs> I know that may sound simple, but that's what I like. Like we're just going to keep going. Doing the same types of investments that we've been doing for many years, continuing to add to our portfolio, continuing to grow it in a meaningful way where we'll be even more diversified than we are today. So um, we're not really looking for something special or something new or a shiny object. It's kind of boring rinse and repeat stuff, Bill, that we like to do. And I just want to do as much of it as we can.
1: But if it's working, yeah. Why change it? <laughs> I mean, it definitely uh, right. sounds like you're 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 doing doing the right thing. And you've mentioned it more than once. Uh, diversification. Um, maybe you could elaborate on on why that's an important element uh, right now of your uh, portfolio.
0: Yeah, I mean, it has been since we started our company and prior to that. I'll give you a quick story as to kind of how I uh, began focusing so heavily on diversification, but in and two, from two thousand five to two thousand eight or nine, I was working with a uh, private distribution company bill that um, had about five million in revenue when I started with them, uh, helped them grow and expand the company. Uh, they got the they got a large client, a large account, uh, and the revenue grew to a little over ninety million annually by two thousand and seven. And then the recession hit. And that large account went away and the company went back to about three to four million annually in revenue. And so I quickly learned about diversification and in this case, the lack of where they had uh, almost all their eggs in one basket with a large uh, large account really dominating the trajectory of their company. So that's part of where diversification came for me. Um, But also in the real estate investment side, Bill, when I left corporate America. We were predominantly focusing on single-family and small multifamily investments, um, which hadn't done very well through the recession, obviously. But we, uh, through those networking events I went to, I started learning about other asset classes that had done pretty well. Uh, again, mobile home parks, self-storage, and some apartments. And so I wanted to start personally diversifying into those asset classes. Um, and also start doing investments with our company into them as well. Again, just seeing performance right over the last few years. At that time, there wasn't a lot you could point to and say, "Hey, look how good that's been doing," or how it's weathered the storm. And so that really caught our eye, and you know continues to be a focus today with all the uncertainty ahead. Is diversification uh, top of mind, very much so. Great, great point.
1: Well, we've come to a segment in, in our interview here. We call it our wrap it up, where um, I ask you a series of sort of quick questions on uh, resources that you have utilized that have been of value to you that you might be able to share with our listeners, and uh, you know, it helps them to to find out about new things and uh, um, also you know various avenues uh, that they might be able to enhance their investing side. So, if you're ready, we can uh, move into a wrap it up. Sure, let's do it. All right. Uh, Favorite real estate book?
0: Real estate book. Okay, so uh, the title is Investing in Real Estate Private Equity. It's an insider's guide to real estate partnerships, funds, joint ventures, and crowdfunding. The author is Sean Cook. It's just a, a very thorough kind of a manual about the world that we're in every day with uh, creating partnerships Um, a lot of different aspects to it from the legal side to waterfall structure to you know financial analysis and metrics and underwriting so um i find it to be one of the the best uh kind of summaries of the space that we're in
1: yeah i understand it's pretty comprehensive uh like you said, like a manual more than anything else. Yeah,
0: there you go. That's a good way of putting it. That's great. <laughs> How
1: about just a general favorite uh, business book?
0: So I recently read uh, What It Takes by Stephen Schwartzman, the founder of Blackstone. Mm-hmm. Um, just a, a kind of a casual read, but I, I couldn't really put it down. So that was uh, a great book. Kind of, auto, I think it's an autobiography, but nonetheless, uh, a st- the story of his life—you know—from childhood, to upbringing, to college years, etc., and how, and some of the challenges he uh, faced along the way in creating and co-founding Blackstone. And so, uh, I, I would recommend that one. Great uh, business leader in uh, in the world, and obviously in, in the alternative investment space. Oh yeah,
1: great, great book. Uh, how about uh, a website that you use that has been sort of valuable for you and, and uh, especially what you're doing with the various asset classes
0: you're involved with? Yeah, I'm trying to think what's a great website. You know, we subscribe to a lot of uh, different websites, uh, a lot of different news updates, uh, a lot of data getting released uh, on various points in, in our asset classes. I'm thinking of a couple that Maybe helpful, but uh, Green Street Advisors, if you haven't heard of those guys, they produce a lot of data and content. Uh, Marcus and Millichap, they have a bunch of industry research, uh, news updates on what's going on in the marketplace. Those are two that I think are helpful.
1: Yeah, great, great recommendations. How about an app on your phone that you use on a regular basis, a favorite app? Oh, gosh, what F-phones do I have? Probably too many, Bill, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know um, I do. I had to flip first, through them. It takes forever.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm looking now. What do I use on my phone? So I, I love to ski. Um, this is a personal app. <laughs> There's an app the for that. Yeah. Uh, The local Local Weather that I track snowfall pretty <laughs> consistently. Um, That's that's the, I forget the name of it. I'm sorry, but it, I'm assuming that's probably not what you're looking for. But that's, <laughs> that's what I, I tend to be addicted to looking at the weather forecast to see yeah. when it's going to snow.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. How about a favorite quote? Any favorite quote come to mind?
0: Favorite quote. Um, you know, there's one that I've been using lately when talking to some of our investors, but. Uh, Warren Buffett's uh, few rules of investing: you know, Rule number one, don't lose money. Rule number two, don't forget rule number one.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that's like
0: that. Topic then today. <laughs> that you bet,
1: you <laughs> bet, especially now. Um, and this one, I don't know uh, if uh, you could relate to this or not. But uh, if you lost absolutely everything, all your assets, and you had to start over, mm. knowing what you already know, and you only have one thousand dollars in cash what would you do with that $1,000 to relaunch your real estate investing business?
0: Wow. Okay. (laughs) Well, um, I think honestly, I'd probably just go network again. Like I did, you know, 12, 13 years ago when I got started uh, full time in real estate. And so what would that money be used for? Probably traveling and going to different networking events and, and meeting uh, you know, sophisticated people in our industry. So I think that's how I would do it is really start growing the network. That to me has been uh, the most valuable.
1: Yeah, I think that I couldn't agree with you more. It's a great, great approach. Well, I'm sure there's there's a lot of folks listening that are very uh, interested in, in what you're doing and what you've been saying. Um, what, what's what's a good way for folks to reach you or your company or find out about what you guys do, what kind of projects you're in, and so forth?
0: Yeah, so our company name, again, is SMK Capital Management. Our website is smkcap.com. So that would be the first place for folks to go. Um you can schedule a call with me there if there's of interest to learn more about our investment offerings and uh, happy to, to talk through. We, we talk to every one of our clients personally, try to make sure we understand what they're looking for, income, growth, uh, savings, retirement, whatever it might be, and uh, see if we're a good fit. So I would suggest to uh, start with the website and schedule a call. Awesome. All right. We will have a,
1: that link in our show notes so people can do that easily. And uh, um, that would, that, that'd be fantastic. Um, we have a, a tradition on here too. Uh, the, the old dogs, REI Network, we all called the old dogs. And so we, uh, we like our guests to close us out with their best old hound dog, howl. Are you up
0: for that, Mark? Oh my gosh. I have a bit of a head cold. So don't laugh at me if it sounds like a little puppy dog. If <laughs>
1: you end up coughing at the end of it, it's okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was a pretty good one for a guy that's got uh, head cold going on there.
0: <laughs> I love it.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. I can't thank you enough to, for being on, Mark. Uh, a lot of great information, especially insight into the marketplace and things that are going on right now, which is uh, some very, very wise, uh, if, wise statements that I think uh, people should take to heart. So I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, my pleasure, Bill. Great to be on. Uh, you bet. And I
1: also want to thank all our Old Dog listeners out there for listening. I know there's a lot of other things you could be doing right now, but the fact that you've taken the time to join us means a lot, and we really appreciate it. Uh, please note uh, everything that uh, Mark talked about today, um, We can uh, you can access that in our detailed show notes on the Old Dogs website at olddogsreinetwork.com forward slash blog, and you're going to look for the episode with Mark Curry Well, that's the show for today. Remember, cash flow is king and real estate investing the means. Until next time, keep moving forward and may God bless. Thank you very much for visiting the Old Dogs REI Network. We would greatly appreciate if you would stop by iTunes and let us know what you think of the show. We would love if you could subscribe to the podcast, give us a five-star rating, and write a review. The more ratings and reviews we receive, the more visible the podcast will be to others. Thank you.